Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I suppose the big story in the news is the AstraZeneca vaccine. And according to uh, the state advisors, the AstraZeneca vaccine should not be given to older people under the age, and only those under the age, are those under the age of 60, including patients that have medical conditions but very high or high risk of severe COVID-19 disease. Uh, this is according to the state advisors on immunisation. Any authorised vaccine, including AstraZeneca, is recommended for those aged 60 years and older, according to the National Immunisation Advisory Committee. NIAC says a second dose should not be given to anyone who's developed unusual blood clots with low platelets after the first dose. Uh, those aged 60 and older should receive their second dose 12 weeks later as scheduled as should under 60s with a very high risk or a high risk of a medical condition. Those under 60 with a very high risk or high risk condition will have an interval between their doses extended to 16 weeks to allow for further assessment of the benefits and the risks risks of the vaccine. Well look, let's get to the bottom of this and find out exactly what is going on and to find out a little bit more about it is Professor of or Immunology and should I say immuni, immu, these words are getting longer uh, Immune Virology at the University of College of Cork Liam Fanning Sorry Liam, I do apologise I got flummoxed to my words It's alright, no bother, uh, I'm, no bother. I, I'm, The words Epidemiology Immunology Virology they've, they're, they're all all these ologies are just coming at me over the last year or so and that one just grabbed me there uh, what is, oh, So it's Immune Virology so you're studying both I assume so yeah my research background would be a combination of both immunology and virology so All right, okay, um, okay. so you know uh, that, okay. that kind of encompasses the whole lot of it okay so look where are we going I mean we suspended the vaccine going back three weeks ago because of the fear I suppose that there was a connection between blood clots and the blood clots that were reported particularly around Europe uh, and the vaccine now we didn't have a direct connection it was a correlation uh, and there can be a lot of correlations but make make very little sense to us sometimes but has that changed now? And do we have a direct connection? And I know there was a suggestion by Luke O'Neill that there may be something genetic in people that is causing this to happen. But is there a direct connection now between the vaccines and these very few, and let's be clear, very few instances of blood clots? So what appears to be coming out and uh, the, the speed at which this research has been done is exceeding anything that was ever done in the past. So what we, there are two pieces of information that we know. First of all, that uh, the antibodies that we produce against the main protein that's um, uh, in the AstraZeneca vaccine or the J&J vaccine or the mRNA vaccine, the spike protein, do not react with platelets. Right, they don't cross-react in a kind of a off-target way. But what we have, there's a lovely paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine which suggests that perhaps in some individuals who have a particular makeup and what that is is ill-defined and that maybe their platelets get uh, uh, infected by the adenovirus, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and that somehow this turns on an autoimmune response and we make antibodies against the protein that we wouldn't otherwise make. Like immunology is a very discreet you know, tool. We, we don't see ourselves as foreign, obviously, and therefore we don't make antibodies against those proteins ordinarily. But in autoimmune disease, that switch is flipped and sometimes we actually turn against ourselves. And that's what appears to be happening in some of these. They're making an antibody against the protein, which is called platelet factor 4 or PF4 for short. Mm -hmm. And it appears that if antibodies bind to that, then that this is somehow precipitating a clot in, in the, uh, which is accompanied with uh, the pre- the, uh, low 
platelet population and these are small little cells that okay. are critical to clotting. And have we identified what is different about the Oxford vaccine or the AstraZeneca vaccine in comparison to the Pfizer, the Moderna and the other vaccines which don't seem to be causing this problem? Well, from what we know of so far. I don't well, see... from what we know of, you're quite correct. And so there are two questions that will be intriguing scientists um, at the moment. One will be, is it some quirk of the a combination of the adenovirus to this other chimpanzee adenovirus backbone. They use the kind of a chimpanzee virus to package the genetic material to make the spike protein. Is there some particular combination of that in individuals, in a small group of individuals, which as a result of their genetic profile and perhaps maybe their immune status, um, that it triggers this self to turn on itself and produce this antibody, which leads to these very unusual clots. I mean, so far they have suggested that the amount of people this will affect will be one to five in a million people. Now, in saying that, that's a really small number of people. But in, in saying that as well, that's one to five too many, because we don't want to see anybody die, because indeed a blood clot can kill you. Uh, you know, in the extreme circumstances, it can kill you. It, and it depends, of course, where you get the blood clot. And I suppose that's why the advice is with younger people, particularly under the age of 30, uh, the chance of you dying of COVID-19 under the age of 30 are practically nil. So to give you a vaccine that might put you at risk would be pointless and silly. I mean, because it's putting you more at risk than you would be from COVID-19. But we can understand why we're still advised it for those over the age of 65 who are much more at risk of COVID-19. Is that the case? That is the case. So it's a balance between, and this is the we saw... Uh, it's a bit of a Hobson's choice, is it, I it suppose? Is, it is, absolutely. So, you know, they're, they're, they're the main goal, and we've seen it with the change in the vaccine rollout program, is that they've gone down in the decades as opposed to kind of what they were doing by profession and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is about the main, the prime directive um, seems is to pr- protect life. Um, and to avoid death. And therefore, that's why I think they've gone with the decision. The 60 to 70-year-olds are still to be given AstraZeneca. And the younger people, you know, they're less likely to end up critical care. Now, they still might get long COVID, um, but nonetheless, they're not likely to die. So that's the kind of... um, Hobbes' choice, as you said, that, that, that they're basically I mean, would, kind of... I mean, Professor, would we be doing this if we went back in time to other vaccines that we produced? And by the way, I'm very pro-vaccine and always have been on the show. But if we went back to other vaccines like HPV or, uh, you know, the childhood vaccines, childhood immunizations, if we had a vaccine, even with swine flu, which we took off the market many years ago, because, of course, in some countries, for, uh, it was bizarre that it was only in some countries it seemed to affect a small amount of people with narcolepsy. That's correct. Uh, yeah, and it was removed from the market. So... If if we had a situation where a vaccine was, we believe, creating a bit of a risk factor, we would normally just take it off the market until we establish that it's safe again to do so. Why do you think in this instance we're not taking it off the market? Or do you believe maybe we're being overcautious and you think it's actually it's a lot safer than people are making it out to be because maybe we're doing more analysis than we've ever done of a vaccine? Uh, two points. Your latter point is quite correct. We're doing more analysis. There's never been more public awareness of a vaccine program, uh, I think, in the entirety of humanity. Um, and secondly, the risk, OK, of clot, we'll say, of death is, uh, I think Karina Butler said, one in a million um, yesterday. And the rate of, we'll say, clot events is somewhere between four to uh, ten uh, in a million um, uh, doses. Uh, a million individuals doses, yeah. A million doses for their first dose. So it's about risk, about risk assessment. And many individuals are, uh, you know, female individuals are on the pill. And there's a risk of a clot on the pill, which is far exceeds the... We'll Absolutely. Say, the I, I, you know I mean? we, we, we talked about this outside. I was talking <laughs> to my producer about this outside and she was, she mentioned that as well about the pill and deep bone thrombosis and stuff like that as well, uh, you know, in relation to the contraceptive pill. But the, the difference is, and people will say to you, I have a choice to take the pill. I don't really have a choice to take this vaccine. Yes, it's not mandatory. I get that. 
But we are being told, and the general public are being told by the government, there will be extra freedoms for those who take the vaccine. So people feel coerced into taking it. And when we feel coerced into taking something, we want to make sure it's safe before we do so. I suppose from that point of view, there's a bit of a difference, isn't there? There is an absolute difference. I suppose the Department of Health would take issue with, with, with the language of coerce, but there is, a, there is an element well, I mean, of... Well, Professor, I, 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 don't, I don't want to have an argument with you about no. it, but, but I mean, when a government and when the state, you know, and the Taoiseach of the country and his second-in-command make a statement like there will be freedoms for those who take it, that essentially is coercing people that you're not going to have the same life as everybody else unless you take a vaccine of some description. So that, yes, that is coercion. That is that. Is, well, that is correct. Uh, in that they are leaving the choice to you, but your choices have consequences, mm-hmm. um, and we have determined that those consequences will be: perhaps you can't go into the pub, or perhaps you yeah. can't go on a flight or the cinema to the cinema. So, um, in in you know, uh, freely given informed consent is what is uh, you know is usually required when people take a medicine, and in this particular case, it comes with a caveat that if you make a free choice not to have this vaccine. Um, in the short term, there will be consequences that you, you know, some airlines may not take you, uh, let, let, let you travel, or you may not be able to take the train, or even, you know, in some instances... You would be maybe treated differently somewhat. And, and by the way, that's all well and good for the betterment of mankind, etc., etc., and for the health of the general population, and I'm all for that, and that's great. But in saying that, if we are going to go down that road, we have to make sure, of course, that something is safe. And, we, and people we do. And, and what's happened now at the moment, of course, we haven't heard much about Pfizer, Moderna or the other vaccines, uh, thankfully. But with this particular vaccine, there's been nothing but news about it over the last two, two or three months. So this, in turn, is creating this vaccine cautiousness. And, and by the way, it's fueling the conspiracy theorists. It is, absolutely. And I suppose this is a bit like the law of unintended consequences where we have where, you know, there's a risk adverse approach to being taken to the delivery of the vaccine rollout. And the consequences of that are, A, it gives opportunities for people to start, we'll say, spreading misinformation. And B, for those that are uncertain to become even more uncertain, nervous, and maybe questioning the information that's coming from official sources to say, uh, you know, uh, is this really the full story? Yeah, well, you told us this last week, but you're telling us this this week. And and I heard an anecdotal story (laughs) yesterday of a young man who died of a heart attack in his early 40s. And the story was... Was put up on Facebook. He had the AstraZeneca virus the day before. Now, let's be clear about this: people, thousands of people have heart attacks every single day of the week, right? And Correct. the possibility of something having somebody having a vaccine and having a heart attack the next day or that night. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It'll happen on a daily basis, most likely, because 90 people die every day. If we've already vaccinated a million people with the first dose, that's a fifth of the population. So out of a fifth of 90, roughly about, I don't know, 15, 20 people, you know, who will get yeah. ill or who will die will have had the vaccine the day before. So what yeah. I'm saying is we can't correlate like that. But the problem is for you guys and for the government, people are going to correlate. Yeah, no, look, vaccines are wonderful. I'm a, I'm a, a very strong advocate of vaccines. As soon as vaccines became available for HPV and hepatitis B and hepatitis A, my children were marched up to the GP mm-hmm. and they were all shot with everything, the boys included, cost yeah. me a, a small fortune, but it was absolutely worth it. I'm a full, fervent believer in the value of uh, vaccines for protecting individuals against the Absolutely, they've saved billions of lives around the world in the last absolutely. 50 years. I mean, absolutely. hepatitis B, polio, the whole lot, you yeah. know, hate. HPV, Smallpox gone. Surgical yeah. checks, the whole lot. We've seen the damage it can do if people, um, uh, you know, end up with the consequences of viral infections. And, and more recently, of course, many women in this country die needlessly of cervical cancer, uh, and we've seen the well, some yeah, great that's like results. Yeah, that's different to a vaccine-related issue, but yeah. you know, because they were in the main 
uh, too old to have been, you know, mm-hmm. we'll say to kind of, but uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the women the of Ireland who have received the hepatitis, uh, sorry, the, the human virus vaccine, you know, they're well protected, still should obviously have their smear test as appropriate, but, you know, they're well protected and it just shows you the value of a good coherent message. But even there with the human papillomavirus um, rollout, there was massive dips down to a point where there was only maybe 50-60% of eligible that, individuals. And again, that was because of Facebook and I know the HSC, the Department of Health uh, described the individuals who were spreading those videos at the time three years ago as health terrorists uh, because of course they were spreading this misinformation that it was affecting uh, teenage girls. I'm not girls. quite sure how helpful emotive language like that is mm. in the round because actually it just polarises opinion even further. Because maybe, then yeah, maybe. You know, but um, you have to differentiate between genuine concern and uncertainty as opposed to someone kind of okay. um, will say malevolently spreading uh, mistruth. Okay, well, 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 I tell you what, for our listeners today, you know, people who are at home that maybe have had the first <laughs> dose of AstraZeneca already, many have. Uh, it's the second most popular vaccine in this Actually, it is the second most popular vaccine in this yeah. country. Um, so for those who have had the first dose of the AstraZeneca and maybe are worried about a blood clot festering, what would you say to those to alleviate those concerns? Okay, there's two things I'd say. First of all, they get on to their caregiver, and that is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, their, their nurse in the practice or their GP in the practice, and they have a conversation. What people need is time to absorb the information and the relative risk. You know, I mean, the, the vaccine rollout is, is a rollout, and that implies almost conveyor belt. So, but there is time given for people. But sometimes might just some people might just need more. And now that they've had one shot and they hear all this uncertainty, stop, start, stop, start. Um, it's very worrying um, for them. And that worry has to be given the credence it's due, and the time has to be taken to talk to these individuals. And we'll say you're uh, a, a 62 year old man, and you're probably maybe on hypertension tablets or blood pressure tablets, uh, or you're maybe a little bit overweight and you're pre-diabetic. You know. This vaccine will prevent you getting COVID and your chances of having um, uh, unfortunate developments as a result of, kind of the complications of COVID are much higher than any of the complications associated with this vaccine. But we do have choices and we will have more choices. Like, you know, the RNA vaccines have been proving to be very effective. There's a new vaccine going to be probably approved in third quarter this year from France. Um, uh, uh, Valneva, I think, V-A-L-N-E-V-A. And it is showing wonderful uh, protection with respect to uh, the amount of antibodies that is produced. It's an inactivated virus. Um, uh, okay, and final couple of questions, right? Firstly, in relation to the vaccine itself, um, we're talking. You were hearing a lot about people in quarantine and stuff like that, and even though they've been vaccinated, and even Simon Harris himself said this morning he doesn't believe it's logical to put people into quarantine, uh, mandatory quarantine, if they've been vaccinated and if they have a negative test. Um, you know, the vaccination. What are the results so far? When it comes to people who are asymptomatic, i.e. they have had the vaccine, we're saying they can still get the virus, but they will be asymptomatic, most likely. So the viral load would be quite low, I imagine, if they do have it. So what is the possibility of those people spreading it? You know, if they've already had the vaccine or if two people have the vaccine, what's the problem with those people meeting? I mean, why are we so cautious about this moving forward with this? Okay, well, let me sort of split it into two things. One, we'll deal with the RNA vaccines, first of all. The RNA vaccines have shown to be very effective uh, against nearly all variants. And what you have is that they're very effective against the wild type variants, in other words, the original virus and we'll say the British strain, the B117. Um, and then you have a relative quantitative difference in the amount of capacity to neutralize this virus, but they're still effective. So it's like saying, you know, you know, I'll be satisfied with, with 20 Smarties, but I'll still kind of have a hit of chocolate with 10. Do you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's still effective um, as, a, as a vaccine um, product. The AstraZeneca one has been proven to be quite effective, except for the South African variant. I think the efficacy was only around 10%. So, you know, uh, if somebody was traveling from South Africa and had a, the AstraZeneca vaccine, 
perhaps you might want them to have a PCR test before they leave um, and then uh, home quarantine um, or else quarantine in the hotels and have a test at five days. Because, so, you know, even, so you're saying even if somebody is vaccinated, even if they have a negative test, you believe they still should be quarantined? No, I do not. Oh, okay, fair uh, enough. No, All I right. do not. Okay. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay, no, 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 I'm sorry, I misunderstood what you said, sorry. No, no, well, this is about the nuances of what yeah. vaccine people got, um, and this is about, you know, how's the, how's the world going to... Okay, so you would agree with Simon Harris, and you would believe that that would be illogical to continue to do that, to, mm-hmm. to keep people in yeah, quarantine yeah, and being vaccinated. Yeah, and, and you see what key here is history of the patient travel. So if they've got a, an AstraZeneca vaccine, and in it's from a part of the world where that doesn't give any coverage, well, then you'd have to say, well, perhaps, you know, you're not as covered as you might think you are. And a PCR test would be the way to sort that out, or a couple of PCR tests okay. would be the way to sort that out. I, but I, if I, you're... And finally, sorry, I, I, I know you're running out of time, but, and by the way, this news just coming in, literally, uh, the New York Times is now reporting, and you probably haven't read this, and maybe I can get your immediate reaction to it. The U.S. is now calling for a pause on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine after clotting cases. The Food and Drug Administration and Centre for Disease Control will stop using the vaccine at federal sites and urge states to do so uh, while they examine safety issues. So the fascinating thing about this is the two, the J&J and the AstraZeneca, both use uh, vector-like molecules to uh, get the, the, the vaccine into individuals. And maybe there's an element of the science we don't understand with respect to adenoviruses and the... Is this, concer- it, is this, is this a very concerning now that we now have two vaccines that one is we're, we're saying now we should really only use for 65, over 65-year-olds because we think it might be more of a risk to use it under the age of 65. And now we have the other main vaccine, which I mentioned a minute ago, I didn't think there was a concern about news just in, obviously, in, uh, from the US, that they're now pausing that one as well, um, saying that there's also um, a risk of blood clots. Well, you see, uh, you know, uh, uh, an instance with one vaccine is a kind of an interesting and very, you know, very interesting story. Two vaccines of a similar kind, given the same story, the message is going to go, it is going to be received by the population. These adenovirus type uh, vac- uh, vaccines have a complication with them. Now, it still might be low per vaccine, but um, I, I reckon what this will lead to is a whole branch of science understanding these, va- these vectors and how they interact with the clotting system, and can they be fine-tuned okay. to take this away from them. Okay, finally, in relation to the vaccine, if, if it's a case, and if it turns out that there is some direct link to blood clotting uh, from both of these vaccines now, I mean, we haven't heard anything from Moderna yet, thankfully, right? But from the, both these vaccines, would it not be a case of somebody, and I read, I read an article recently, I can't remember where it was, that the idea that we're actually vaccinating people under the age of 65 is probably unnecessary. There's a very so uh, it's it's about so it's about risk of illness, long COVID, and uh, serious illness and death. Right. So the further down you go, you know, you, you know yourself. The data is you know. Well, the, da- well, the data clearly shows us, and I know um, yeah. Professor John Lee was on with us last week, and he said, and I'm quoting him, that under the age of sixty, he said you are more likely to die from influenza. We never insisted yeah. that people under sixty-five got vaccinated for for influenza. No, you're you're, you're quite cor- you're quite correct in that. So. I think, look, we, you know, we have options. We have the RNA vaccines. So maybe it's, you know, beginning to time to have a discussion before we're at that kind of brick wall and saying, you know, we need to have a discussion about should we kind of switch over like the Israelis to just using the RNA vaccines? You know, they've, they've vaccinated. I haven't stayed up with that, but they're close on nearly 70% of their population have had certainly one dose, if not close on two doses. And their data has shown that the RNA vaccine give massive protection against a symptomatic disease, asymptomatic disease, and mm. are beginning to show reductions in transmission as a result of the uh, immune response to these vaccines. 
and, and, yeah, and, and, and the final question for you in relation to, I suppose, the other theory out there by organisations like the ISAG, um, that they are still pushing for zero COVID at this late stage where um, many people believe the horse has already bolted and the virus is already in our midst. It's going to be here probably for the next 20 years. We don't know. Um, do you believe that's still an option or a good idea? So I think we will achieve uh, the goal of having COVID a manageable infection um, within Ireland uh, through a combination of public health measures and vaccination. No one measure in itself is going to, and quarantining as well, sorry, let, let me throw that now has been come into it. Um, and I think we will ultimately end up having a virus that's seasonal and we'll be, you know. Do you, do, you think, do you think the zero COVID idea is a fantasy? Well, I think even zero COVID, uh, Isaac, and I know a lot of those individuals, fine colleagues, they will say zero is not zero. There's a bit of a misnomer in a call. Well, they talk about COVID. five to ten cases they per do, day. They do, yes, absolutely, yeah. but per day in the country, um, and they're calling that zero. But that zero is, sorry, that, that, that is backed up by forensic public health to do what they do and they like to Brisbane and shut down a whole area for two or three days and they identify mm. everybody who's been in contact well, very, with it. Very different. There's a lot of variables in relation to Australia and New Zealand and the Oceania Correct. region by the way, the whole region of Oceania and they've had very low case numbers but there are many variables in that including age, population, climate and other variables too and, and, and land borders. an opportunity to be like that last June when we could have brought in the airport quarantine system okay, so, you, so you think we're past that point anyway? I think we're, yes, I think it's, you know, they're not, we're not going to go into kind of like, we'll say 2K, 2K lockdown like we had at the very beginning of the pandemic with those kind of, I, the, the population won't say, the population are jaded, um, the, you know, the collateral damage in the youth, mental health, all the, the usual stuff that's kind of given, and they should be given real credence with respect to kind of support that are needed after this. Like, you know, we have had kids lost life experience, adults, people can't even, have an even chance to grieve yet with their friends and family. Okay, and that was, that was going to bring me to my very last question. Sorry, just to throw one more at you. I'm sure you've watched the scenes in Britain with people enjoying themselves out. Very few people wearing masks, even sitting outside. Thousands of people <laughs> last night enjoying a point, including Boris yes. Johnson. Does that, when you see scenes like that, does that excite you somewhat or does it concern you? So it, uh, it, I'm dying for a pint of Guinness. It gives me great <laughs> hope, the Lord, pint of Guinness. And tell you why. I'm dying for a holiday. You can stick the vaccine in my eye if I can go on holidays. Yeah, I mean, no, I uh, anyway, but I mean, you know, antigen testing is part of the armory to keep this under a careful watch. We need a surveillance on this a lot. And, you know, serial testing with the antigen tests, you uh, overcome some of the weaknesses of the antigen test. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're... You know, I see, yes, and, and I think some people will be a bit reticent maybe coming into next winter to drop the mask. I think that we still have, you know, some people, we, I was in Beijing actually in October 2019, just as this was beginning to move into the human population. That's what we know now. And um, there, so it was October time, people were wearing masks all the time. And what they had, they had a philosophy as far as I understood it, is by wearing the mask, they were protecting others. But there was an element of protecting themselves about picking up the second. And we've seen this year, there was no flu this year in, in Ireland. Now, that was partly due to the fact... Well, I don't believe that. With the, greatest, with the greatest respect, I don't believe that. The HSC put out figures and said they had not one case of the flu. Well, there was no laboratory diagnosed case Well, there was. I, like I can tell you there was, because we have a mutual friend who has CF, and she was in hospital with the flu uh, in January, okay, I think it was. Correctly. And she was diagnosed with the flu. So I don't know where the HSC got that. Or December, should I say. So I don't know where the yeah, HSC yeah. got well, that. There was, okay, well, let's, let's say there was very little flu in Ireland yes. last year. And lots of RNA, lots of viral infections, which people give sinusitis and all that, didn't get them because they were because it wasn't seeded into the country, because we, you know, we don't make our own flu virus, you know, ordinarily. You know, I mean, it's... it's, it's no, it comes from the southern hemisphere. Exactly, it? Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It shuttles between the northern and southern hemisphere and stays around the equator all year round. Um, so it kind of moves up and down with the temperature profile of the, the globe. 
Mm. All right. Well, look, thank you very much indeed. Very interesting. interesting. Thank you very All much. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Professor of Immune, uh, Immune Virology at uh, University College uh, Cork. That is Liam Fanning. And so I suppose the point he's making is, is that under the age of 65, I suppose the risk at the moment of the, of the vaccine uh, probably outweighs the risk of COVID-19 is the point that he's making in some senses. In other words, that because you're not at much risk under the age of 65 of dying of COVID-19, if you indeed contract it and get symptoms, um, it's not worth the risk until we're sure in relation to the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, I suppose the news coming in now makes even things more complicated because we now have a situation where we have another vaccine, which is popular, Johnson & Johnson. And that vaccine now, uh, according to the US, they're calling for a pause because this one is used primarily in America at the moment with the Moderna, is being paused after they now have clotting cases as well. And now this, please don't let this scare you if you've already had you know, a vaccine, particularly the AstraZeneca. You've heard what he said. It's a really low number of people. I mean, it's kind of one in a million people. Four in ten may get a blood clot. May. May. So it's a really, really low number. If you're over the age of 65, there's more than four in ten people will die in a million of COVID-19 if you get it. All right? If you're under the age of 65, the numbers are probably lower. So what I'm saying to you is, at the moment, the right thing to do is to stick to the over 65s. Um, some countries are not doing that, by the way. They're giving choices to people. They're asking people if you want it or you don't want it. They're giving you a choice. If you've already had the first dose... Um, and you do have underlying conditions, they're going to wait 16 weeks uh, to make sure that we analyse it and make sure that there's no direct connection and make sure that it's safe. I suppose that's what they're going to do. And I suppose the, the important point he makes is in relation to vaccines. That as much as there has been problems with vaccines in the past, and some have been taken off the market, and others have been you know, uh, paused while they examine an issue, there has never been a vaccine in human history that has been analysed and overanalyzed as much as the vaccines for COVID-19 because we're watching everything that's going on and everybody is watching. Do you understand? I mean, everybody is watching it. People, the anti-vax people, are just waiting to pounce. And, and they're right, by the way. They are right to say that. You're, everybody is right to be cautious. It is your body. It is your health. And your health is your wealth and your body is important and it's absolutely 100% right that you're cautious and that you're watching and listening to everybody, including experts and people who've studied virology and including the government who are giving you the advice. And it's very, it's very difficult, I understand, for everybody listening. You're saying to yourself, who do I trust? Who do I trust anymore? Do I trust the media? Do I, hmm, I trust some of the media, I wouldn't trust all of it. Do I trust virologists? Some of them I trust, some of them I wouldn't. Some of them wouldn't trust my enemy dog. So it's, it's really difficult, and I know it's really difficult. So all I'd say to you is try and listen to as much as you can and make up your own mind. That's probably the best way out of it. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.